to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. This week we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, um, and I titled it, This Jesus Changes Everything, because we're going to see in this, um, it's a beautiful section uh, where Paul basically kind of goes into his conversion, his own conversion experience, and then the, the ramifications of that, and I actually kind of cut off in verse 9, and we're going to go and see 10 and 11 are connected to that, but I'm only cover, going to cover through verse 9 because there's some real meaty stuff there in building up an 8 and 9, and then um, 10 and 11 also, and when, as he's talking about that. And then we're going to, next week, we'll cover um, 10 through the end of the chapter. Uh, but this week, um, what comes out from Paul very clearly is what is satisfying to him. Um, so I, I would ask you just to consider at the very beginning, um, what is satisfying to you? You may not really think through it that much, um, but what is satisfying to your soul? There's things that you do that, that in, as you get into it, it is. It's really, really, really satisfying. Um, but we don't pause and really think through, oh, this is one of those elements um, that is really satisfying. Um, and over the last two or three years, I've tried to get better at this. But then also, um, uh, my youngest son, Jackson, um, he will be on his phone and he'll be talking with people. Uh, he'll have that. He'll have an earpiece in sometimes. And uh, the scary thing with this you know, new age is that you could be getting ready for the shower. You could be using the restroom. You could be you know, going through the house looking for something. And if they've got, their, if they're, they've got a live video going on with you know, six people in a group chat, or he'll have set the phone up and uh, be doing some sort of trick or some new TikTok thing, and you could just be walking through doing laundry. You know? And so uh, I have to be careful. But he, he, he will say this one thing that really caught my attention. And he will, he's, he really likes organization stuff and he'll organize things or he'll do stuff uh, and get it put away very neatly. And, and then he, on his phone, there's certain things that he'll do and, and he'll be talking to friends and I'll hear him say, yeah, it's really satisfying when I do that. And I, the first time I, I just thought, man, I never say that. Like we probably say, oh, it's awesome or something. But he's like, it's really satisfying when I do that. And so I love that because now that, that verbalizing that and putting that statement out there. Um, so there's certain things, you guys know some of the things I really, really love that when I walk across that boardwalk and, and that, that breeze that you've been smelling for the last you know, 15 or 20 minutes as you're driving in and then you get to the, the ocean and you walk across that. When I first walk across there, whether it's cloudy and the waves are crashing um, or if it's a beautiful sunny day, like I just say that like, God, this is so satisfying because it really is. You guys know I'm, I'm wired towards football. I love, love, love football and just the, the little details of it and all different things. It's really, really satisfying when certain things happen. You know, the Sooners lost yesterday. And so completely unsatisfying. I, I, I may, may or may have not had sent some emails and threats and stuff. So if I ended up in jail this next week, you'll know I had to do it at the Sooners game. Um, so there's things that are satisfying for you guys um, that you may pause and, and really just as you walk out onto a place, just go, this is really, really satisfying. Or you get to a place that, that, you're, that you've uh, gone to as a family or maybe just isolated yourself and, and had some time alone. It's, this is very satisfying. And so in those times to really pause and give glory to God for that because he, he's, he's put that in our heart. Now, there's also satisfying things that can be sinful. So we don't need to be thanking God for that. We need to be mortifying those things and finding out the things that are satisfying in a righteous way. And so Paul here today, we're going to see, he, he, he's basically saying, there should be something for believers that is the most satisfying thing set apart in its own uh, category, completely set apart and more important, more significant than anything else. Um, and so we're going to see that in Paul's uh, little message today. But also, um, there's things that Paul's going to go through about his own self-righteousness. He's, he, what he's basically doing in this uh, section, there's a swift turn in, in chapter 3 
where he says this word finally as he starts out, and they, you feel like he's closing the letter because he just talked about um, uh, Epaphras, uh, Epaphroditus and um, uh, Timothy and talking about travel plans. Um, and then he says, well, finally, brothers, but then he goes into some very stern warnings. And so uh, commentators and scholars have wondered why there's this abrupt shift like almost as if, uh, some people even said it was not Paul's writing. And uh, great scholars say it is Paul's writing. Um, it could have been weeks of things going on as, as, as Epaphroditus was there with him and getting and probably told him, hey, here's how the Philippians are doing. And uh, Epaphroditus is real sick. It wasn't like Paul had to sit down and write all this in an hour or three hours, right? It could have been um, two weeks later, Epaphroditus is doing better. Three weeks later, he's doing better. And then Epaphroditus goes, oh yeah, and by the way, there really are some really bad unity things. And Paul goes, and he's inspired by the Spirit and goes, man, I need to really address those things that's going on there. There's some disunity. And, and, and some of the disunity is coming from these Judaizers. And so that's what he brings out about this self-righteousness of the Judaizers. Things that they were boasting in that, that they should not be boasting in at all. And so he talks about um, several areas uh, of this self-righteousness. So um, he talks about he suffered the loss of all of those things that he used to f boast in and things that he used to be proud of, things that he um, just inherited by being born in his, his, in his Jewish heritage, and then things that he had attained in his hard work and success. And now he looks at both of those categories and goes, that's nothing compared, compared to the surpassing greatness of this one thing. This one ultimate satisfying thing, Jesus Christ. And so um, that should be what we share with people about salvation. Yes, yes, it is the forgiveness of your sins. But you also need to understand the worship of this person, Jesus Christ. Not just a little ticket that, that you think is guaranteeing no hell. But literally, are you captivated in Christ? Are you in love with Christ? So let's read that, um, section 3, 1 through 9. Chapter 3. And so Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to the, same, to write to the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. So here's this abrupt switch. Rejoice in the Lord. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Father, we thank you for um, the beauty of your grace upon Paul. Um, on one hand, a very righteous, very moral um, a spiritual elite, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Hebrew among Pharisees, a Hebrew among Hebrews, of the highest acclaim in Jewish heritage. And at the other side, the other side of the coin, one who would murder and one who would think that he's defending monotheism and, and Yahweh and would, would in jail and in prison and uh, cause harm to people that were followers of Christ. And so a man of high morals and then yet grievous sin, um, and yet you saved him. And we were amazed at this picture that you bring out of what you did for Paul to give him clear sight about himself, to have a self-awareness of the things that he boasts in, um, his own self-righteousness, 
the things that he would compare with others, and that he would see those as nothing, as complete rubbish and trash compared to the surpassing greatness and the worth of Jesus Christ, that Christ alone is everything. And so would you help us to um, glean wisdom this morning from um, this passage in Philippians, Lord? Would you help us to uh, become more self-aware about what we're boasting in? Um, little bitty patterns of, of self-righteousness that we may look down upon others, we may judge others, we may be comparing ourselves to others, um, even in the church or even uh, in the lost world, and that we would be a people humbly walking um, just in our complete captivation of Christ, that we would be amazed at what he has done. We'd be amazed at your saving grace towards us in him. We thank you so much, and we ask the Spirit to guide us as we go into this time. In your name we pray, amen. So um, again, with this uh, abrupt shift, and so as he starts out, I, I do want to point out uh, the, the, the book brings up a lot about rejoicing, and so we're going to see that in chapter 4 also. And, but I want you to see that he says, brothers rejoice, and so he, he's saying that based on all that we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, brothers, finally rejoice in the Lord, and, and then there is this abrupt shift. So, so it seemingly doesn't fit, but the rejoice in the Lord was probably tied more to the things he just discussed, right? And he's sending Epaphroditus. So, and, and you're going to hear about, I'm doing okay. And, and, and Timothy and I hope to, to come and see you as soon as I get this clearance from the Romans. And Epaphroditus has done a phenomenal job. Thank you so much for all you've done. So rejoice in the Lord. And so there's, there's those things. And again, we don't know exactly what happened to make him go into these warnings, but he, he takes a very um, uh, abrupt shift there when he says, um, look out for the dogs, um, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So now a dog in those days is not what we have turned this into. Uh, maybe I was better fitted for, for that time period because now dogs, um, you know, the, we, we have lots of them. They're in our houses. When I grew up, I didn't know people that had dogs on the inside of their house. Like it didn't matter if it was a little dog or a big dog. Dogs were outside. They had dog houses. I remember when it would be snowing and my dad would put a, a, a light, this, this yellow light that inside the doghouse, he would fasten it up inside the doghouse just to provide a little bit of warmth. And so um, in Salisaw, dogs were outside. Maybe that's the way it should be. We should all just live like Salisaw people. And so in, in this day, um, dogs were looked at as um, scavengers. They were looked down upon. Um, they were scavengers. They were dirty. Um, they would attack. They, were, they ran in packs. Um, they stood for everything that was dirty and disgusting. They were also considered impure and, inclean, and unclean because the things that they would eat, they would eat trash, and they would also eat their own vomit. So even the scriptures talk about that. So people were not thinking like, oh, let's bring this thing in and let him lick me on the face, right? And so and let, let's, let's have a bed for him. Let's, let's put little steps up that they can all sleep with me. And so that was not the case. So if you're doing that, that, that that's your, your case. But um, they were not doing that. Jews also called anyone that was non-Jewish, they referred to them as dogs under that categorization. Like that's how unclean and how disgusting you are. So they would refer, refer to anyone um, um, as dogs that would, would do that. And now Paul is using this whole argument um, as a section talking to, to bring this out. He's using a play on words in a couple of different ways. So the first thing in this abrupt thing when he says, watch out for the dogs. So think about this congregation now uh, of Jewish believers, but also this is in Philippi. So it, it's also a lot of Greek and Romans, right? And so this com community is made up of those. We talked about the diversity of that body early on. And now he says this term that they would all go, oh, what are you saying? So watch out for the dogs. And, and, and they would, this would really catch their attention because that's a dangerous impure, horrible thing. And he's saying, hey, hey, church body, watch out. There may be dogs among you, dogs in our midst, dogs on the outside, dogs on the inside. And so that, that's a very striking thing. And he says evildoers. And the Greek there, it's, it's more, uh, the, the part of the word is evil workers. And the reason that that means that is it was not that they were going and doing evil things like stealing and going and doing evil things like hurting people physically. Um, their works were evil because of this. So the Greek word meaning this is that they, will ev they were evil workers because it is evil to take the cross that you didn't deserve and grace and say, that's helpful, but I've got to do stuff because God didn't do enough. 
That's an evil work. If you heap on to people, hey, Jesus and the cross is okay, but I've got something better. And you better get busy doing what I'm doing. I'm earning more. That's an evil work. And so in the theological sense, these evil workers, they're, they're not only believing that they have a list of righteousness that they can do through their own self-righteousness, they're also teaching others and heaping that onto others. Remember Jesus said that. He talked about it several times where he said, man, you cast all these rules and laws upon people um, and you, you think you're these whitewashed tombs and, and, and in fact, you're empty, you're hollow. You're going to be the ones going to hell and, and it's dangerous to teach all those things to other people. And so it was evil to be taking what was good and righteous and then saying, well, that, that stuff that Jesus did, that, that work was okay, but we've got to do more works. And then he said the mutilators, he now makes the play on word, uh, the, the Greek word there is um, for, for um, circumcision is peritemnine, peritemnine. Peritemnine is the, the Greek word for to circumcise. Um, the word for mutilate is katatin, katatimnine. Kodotim 9. So instead of using circumcise, he purposely uses this word mutilate. Now, uh, peritim 9 is the sacred sign of consecration. So think of the Old Testament. Testament. Peritim 9 was circumcision. The physical act of circumcision that was an outward sign of what? Of an inward change as a Jewish person, right? And your family. And so you were a believer and a follower of God, one who trusts in God. And so the outward sign was this. And Paul says, um, no, you're not that. You're the mutilators. He uses this word to say what you're doing is an external work. And so pagan gods and pagan religions at that time, people would not only uh, slash themselves and they would have these rituals and they have these sacrifices where they sometimes would sacrifice children. Um, they would also uh, cut themselves and mutilate themselves. And in the same area that circumcision would happen, they would mutilate. So eunuchs and different things, thinking they're doing service to this false god. And Paul goes, you know what? You guys who think you're teaching righteousness to get closer to God, you're mutilators. You're mutilating the flesh. You're dogs. You're evil workers. When in fact you're trying to teach people that you're the righteous ones, you're the good ones. And so that's this argument that he's using. He's using this play on words. So he intends um, it is a hard slap on the face. You, you, Judaize, I'm sorry, you Judaizers, you think you're more righteous because of outward obedience, things like sacred circumcision, but you've actually only mutilated yourselves like the pagans. You've turned the beauty of circumcision into awful mutilation thinking that you are doing service to God and teaching others that they must do this also. So Paul wants them to see that true circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. So there's lots of places in the Old Testament where we talked about it, the circumcision of the heart, a, a softness of the heart, a humbling of the heart. Um, and it, that is what uh, is pleasing to God, that, that humility and obedience. When we take a good gift from God, so what did circumcision um, supposedly paint a picture of? When we take a good gift from God, union and redemption. So a person in the Old Testament didn't know about Jesus and the cross, right? But they knew it was, we're set apart. We're not supposed to be in sin. We're following and trusting in Yahweh. We do these sacrifices. Now, there was confusion because they thought that the sacrifices themselves, putting stuff on the altar, took away their sins. But the people who truly came humbled and fearful and awe of God going, here, here, here are these, these animals, here are these um, these things that we would give as a sacrifice because we know we're a sinful people. Would you take those and, and sacrifice that? We'll be out here praying outside that God would forgive us for our sins. That's a true, that's a true person. Their sins were not going to be forgiven by that little altar there. Their sins were going to be forgiven by Christ's altar on the cross, right? So all of that, they didn't understand all that. But the ones who truly come going, we see our sins. We see, God, you're a holy God, and we have, we've sinned. We're sorry for our whole community. We're sorry for our whole group of, uh, of Israel that, that they're doing this. God, we have a broken heart for our sin. Those were the true believers, and that was union and redemption. The outward sign of that was circumcision. There was other people who were going, we could be making money today. We have to take this half a day and go into the city and take some of our, we, we could use this lamb. We could use this animal. We don't have money for this. We could be doing all these works because it was a very agricultural society. We could be doing all these things. This is ridiculous having to stand in line and do this thing. I, I, I don't even believe in this anyway. 
And they went through the motions of it. And they were circumcised. And all these things, and they weren't loving God. So that whole picture is, is a picture of a devoted, love, redemptive life. And when we elevate the external sign instead and turn it into an added step or rule and then judge others by their ability to keep it or not keep it, um, when the step was not what saves, but in Christ instead, Paul says, that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you mutilators, you evildoers, you dogs. And he wants the Philippians to see this extreme language, so almost like cussing language to get their attention, kind of a slap in the face where they like kind of wake up. This is very extreme language. Um, in this warning, Paul is saying that there are these dogs and evildoers and mutilators, these immeasurably dangerous people who are being used by Satan to infiltrate and destroy the church. It is pure evil to hide grace behind man's works. And man, in our church, in, in the European church, a lot of places where there's a lot of graces, we can actually fall into hiding grace by getting into all sorts of man's works. Uh, church conformity, the way we all have to look the same, the way all our children act the same. We all do the same thing with our families. We all do the same thing with this. We all do the, it's this, this subculture, a little bitty tiny circle, and there's these little tiny conferences that these churches go to, and they only listen to these speakers, and they only, you know, they, they rule out this type of worship, they rule out this type of worship, um, all kinds of things that we have. And we're looking at the other people. If, they, if, if that wife does this, or if that husband does this, or if their children don't do these things, man, they just don't fit. And, and guess what? We're successful. They feel it. After your second or third time of coming, they get the hint that there's a extreme elite godliness, and my family just doesn't fit in. And man, it's, and some of you probably have been through this. So sometimes you're Jamie and I, we just get bounced around like a ping pong ball because some circles they look at us and they're just like, "Oh my gosh, you're the most pitiful parents in, in Tulsa. Like you are satanic." You let your kids play sports. Oh my gosh, it's the most horrific thing. It, we, we know evenings are for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. We're, we're in the living room and we just sit here and we just we, we read some psalms and that, that's what godliness is. You're, you're pathetic and you're, sadly, you're a pastor. And then we've got other people where they're just like, oh my gosh, you guys are so rigid and crazy that you don't let your kids have phones of this age or you don't let your kids just go and do all this stuff or you don't let your kids go and spend the night at this or you and, and, and those those people look at it and they're just judging us by this your kids are i mean they're, they're obviously going to hell and not christians sometimes a little bit of their shirts untucked they, they didn't wear a belt this week and it could be things that you know people just are extremely rigid rigid and so the church does that and paul's going do you see how far that is away from treasuring christ Come as messy as you are, the first song. Come brokenhearted. Come for those weeping and crying and mourning. That's what he's looking for, a heart that's in brokenness. The people that come every week going, I'm in love with Christ. I'm not worried about whether the screen doesn't work or whether or the song doesn't work. We have, to, we have a, a yucky little room where they, they are, it's not as nice as facilities. Or you're in a, a grand place, and, and you, but you don't like the songs. Or you, you don't like the people's clothing or whatever it is. Like we missed it, Paul's saying. You Philippians are missing it if you're not treasuring Christ in this. And so then Paul goes into, here. if anyone had anything to boast about, it would be me. Um, the reason they're able to do so much destruction in the church is not because they come in saying Jesus is not God. Notice Paul doesn't say, hey, they're not coming in saying Jesus didn't die on the cross. Jesus was not God. That was their arguments. But this group of people causing harm were not actually telling people, hey, go live like you want to live. Go live in sin. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Those are dangerous things also, right? Uh, they're not saying worship these other deities. They're not telling people you can worship other gods. Well, that was very common in the, in the uh, religions there. They were not coming in doing away with Christ or denying the cross. The destruction that they're spreading is by adding things to the gospel of grace. Um, what you've heard me refer to is kind of afraid of grace, a fear of grace. They add on to God's sloppy, not tight enough commands. So what I see is God wants to be really graceful people and like it's not earning works and everything, but man, I'm really, really fearful. And, I, I, and maybe for me, I need to set those. So Romans 14 talks about that for, for me. I come out of a certain background, my own life, and God saves me out of that. And in that, I have to have some boundaries from certain people. 
I have to put some safe, wise protection things up. I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm not going to go over there. I'm not going to be around that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be around this. I'm not going to be around. And that's wisdom and that's good. In doing that, I'm, I'm looking at scriptures that say pursuing holiness, mortifying sin, things like that. But if I go and say, hey, you know what? All of us have to build the same wooden fence around. And I see you guys. You're not building the wooden fence. The wooden fence is not the scripture. The scripture is be holy. Some people don't have to have the wooden fence. Some people live right next door in the middle of stuff and just that doesn't even tempt them to be around certain things. It doesn't even tempt them. And it's not sin for them at all to, be, to do different things. So those are those, those gray area things, whether that's um, the things of, of, of alcohol, uh, of tattoos, of what you dress, uh, of makeup, of going to, a, um, uh, going to a restaurant that's inside a casino. It used to be, so when Jamie and I got married, and this sounds crazy, uh, but back in 99, um, that was from the old century, um, that, that was like in, in Rogers, Arkansas, it was a dry county. There was only a handful, like three or four restaurants that had a bar. And so literally, um, people joked us. So we moved there. I'm doing landscaping lawn service. Jamie wasn't there yet, obviously. And so she was, it was going to be three or four months. So in the evenings, I wanted to be around 20-somethings. So I got a job at Chili's working. I didn't know that the church culture in Northwest Arkansas, you don't even eat at Chili's, much less go and work there. You're, 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 you're taking God's money from, from sinful people that are at an alcoholic restaurant. They served alcohol at Chili's. They had a bar area. I, I'm clueless. I'm talking to Christians and people at you know, Fellowship Bible and all these big churches, and I, I noticed kind of a weird thing. I was like, yeah, some, about two or three nights I work at Chili's just so I can hang around some of those college students. And, and they're just looking like, I bet you are. I bet you are long hair. And, and you know, like, uh, you're trying to probably get around other girls, and uh, it's an alcohol. I had no idea that they are judging me. And so it came out as a funny thing later on that, and so just those things. So we have these, these things in our Christian subcultures that are not, is it sinful? Black and white sin? Show me the verse of going to Chili's that it's sinful. It's not. But are there people to this day in 2023 in Northwest Arkansas who probably still go, I will never, I will proudly never go in Chili's. And I can't believe you take your family in there. Your, your children by going in there are probably going to become alcoholics. And you've, you've thrown them off to the dogs. All kinds of things like this, that we create these wooden fences that may be okay, but if here's where we get off, and here's what the Judaizers are doing, and here's what Paul's saying. Holiness, purity is what you're striving for. The way that you do that may look different, Romans 14. Having the wooden fence or not having the wooden fence is not biblical. Having the wooden fence or not having the wooden fence is not the point. Um, you need to be wise and have a community of believers around that, that help you. You know, if you're a person that's come out of, you know, 12, 15 years of alcoholism or one year of alcoholism or your family heritage, we talk to our boys all the time about alcoholism or any kind of inebriation um, that, 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 that runs in your blood. And so uh, you need to be aware of that. And so where other guys may go, well, hey, I'm, I'm just, I, I can take part of this as a Christian. When I get 21, I can take part. One drink may lead you to a life just completely destroyed. That's for kids or adults. And so you need to be aware of that and have a community of believers that's able to help you gauge that because then the next thing you know, you're, you're partaking in things that are just horrific. And Paul's saying, um, when we get to those things, we're, we're adding to Scripture and we're adding to the gospel of grace. And again, if you're a churchy family, grew up in the church or come from those things, you may have come from places or it's, it's very popular for churches just to preach those things as the gospel, the fences, the, the wooden fence. All of us need wooden fences. And I feel like some of you people, you don't have enough wooden fences. You need some more wooden fences. Look at my life. I got the wooden fences, don't I? See my life? It's the wooden fences. And I can't even tell you just in the last week or two, I've just, God has allowed certain conversations where people that live that way and were proud at the top of that list, their life has fallen apart, except they were leaders of churches, pastors of churches, all kinds, and they've preached that and heaped that on people, and, 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 and not in just um, obedience to Scripture, but the wooden fences. And Paul's going, those things are you're, you're adding to, and now you're judging people by that. You've misused Scripture by these well-defined application stances. And it works because people want approval. People desire being impressive to other spiritual families. 
People want an easy list. Just, just tell me exactly what to do. Tell me, does the wooden fence need to be three foot by five foot or four foot by five foot? How close can I go to sin before it's, before it's sin? How, how close can I go in temptation? How far away should I move away from bad people? How far away should, and so they want easy lists. Three easy rules to raise godly teenagers. Four, four simple ways to have the godliest marriage. Everyone wants that, right? And, and God, in his ignorance, didn't provide it. So really, really godly people, since God didn't do a good enough job, I better add some rules because God didn't do a good enough job. Do, do we see how dangerous that is? And so are there things that you're trying to do to earn God's approval, what are those? Versus, and is Jesus satisfying? Like Sankey talked about that Paul said, am I doing this church thing because Jesus is satisfying or because I have to? Or mom and dad make me? Or uh, it's just what's expected? Uh, here, when we hear all the time, well, it's probably good for the kids. We hear all the time that people, you're like, oh, I thought they were, you know, decently solid. And they're like, oh, they, they don't really care about Christ at all. And then, then I'm like, okay, I don't tell them this. I'm like, oh, you're a lost person completely. Like, I, I can tell by their language. I can tell by the different things. Like, they're doing it thinking that Metro's going to save their kid. And that will, or maybe she won't get pregnant, or maybe they won't get into a DUI, or maybe they won't crash and burn in a, in a, in a drunk driving accident because Metro will provide the spiritual influence, or the Sunday school will provide that instead of parenting them in that way. Are there things that you're doing to get your life right with God? What are they? Now, there's things that we do, spiritual disciplines, but that, that's not what makes your life right with God. What Jesus did is what makes us acceptable and right with God. I'm amazed at him. I'm so captivated, amazed at him. The thing I want to do is read scripture because it tells me more about him. I want to spend time in prayer because it, it, it gets me in relationship deeper and deeper with him. So it's, it's a, a level of depth that can be there instead of just a resistance from it. And I, I don't even care about it. So if you truly love and are captivated by him, you want to learn more about it. You want to see him. And so Paul goes into this, um, this true circumcision. He says, we, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in flesh. So three things. And so he goes, hey, th th those people, those dogs, those mutilators, those evil workers, they're saying all these things. We are the circumcision. And so that was offensive to some of the Jews in the crowd because they're like, hold it. We, who are you talking about? There's Gentiles sitting out here. We, that's just the Jews. And Paul's going, no, no, no. There's a true circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. And so now you've got this verse, these verses in, that Paul uh, writes in Romans and um, Corinthians and some different places that, oh, hey, all Jews are not part of the true Israel. Many people that are of Israelite birth are not going to heaven. Just because you're Jewish or you're a, a seed of Abraham um, in your Jewish lineage does not mean you're going to heaven. And that was shocking for them. They thought, even if you were the hard-hearted person that did the sacrifices and did the stuff and were angry about it. Um, so he says three things there. We're the ones who worship by the Spirit. We're the ones who um, glory in Christ, and we put no confidence in the flesh. If you remember in Romans, uh, I don't have a, a verse up here on the screen, but it says, um, this is Romans chapter 8, getting into that meaty part of Romans. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So does that mean that we're free just to go do whatever? I'm forgiven, so I can go. No, no, it's actually set you free from sin, and you're also free from trying to work your way to God. It's set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, God the Father, and, and the Son, the Spirit, using Jesus' life in the Spirit's application, God has done what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh. Your flesh was never going to be able to do the, the law of God. It was never going to be, keep, be able to keep that. And so God had another plan. God, God did what the law in your flesh could never do. By sending his own Son... In likeness of sinful flesh, we've talked about that, why he needed to be fully man, but at the same time, he needed to be fully God. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh as a man. We needed, we needed a human person to suffer the wrath of God for sins, a holy human person, and no one was here except for Jesus that could do that. Um, 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law, so the righteous standard, might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So he says, we worship by the Spirit. They also glory in Christ. So true believers place their trust, their rest, and they also exalt Christ, not themselves. It is Christ that saves, his work, not our work. So they're resting in what Christ has done. Not how many times mom and dad took me to go to church. Not how many scriptures I had memorized. Not how many good things I did to my sisters or my brothers. It's in Christ. So when parents see that, they go, man, I'm really thankful. Here's some things I noticed and that you're doing with your brother. That is incredible. I love seeing those things. I hope what you see there is that is exactly what Christ wants out of us. A change heart. That's the type of life that we want to see you walking in. That, that, that is flowing out of and living in because of how great Christ is. Do you see that? Instead of, hey, you know what? You're the best brother ever. You're, you're, hey, you're the shining little star. You're such a snowflake. You're so special. You're so great. It's fine to talk about how good they are and how great they are in the middle of God's grace. It's not right to exalt them to where all they hear is they're just the greatest thing ever. They're going to have some confusion, identity confusion, like Paul's saying, hey, you Philippians are having, and these other people are having, because it's, it's about what Christ has done. It's about what Christ is doing. So they glory, they rest in Christ, they exalt Christ. They put no confidence in the flesh. Again, Paul's contrast moves to having no confidence in what they do and also in their ethnic or national identity. So when he says this, we put no confidence in the flesh, he's going, I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. I'm putting no confidence in that part of me. So, so on his heritage, his, his Jewish lineage, being a, a child in the, in the lineage of Abraham, but also not just the Jewish heritage, but his works. And so he's about to go into that. So he said, we put no confidence in either one of those things. And these people are coming in, these dogs, these mutilators, they're putting all their confidence in that. It's Christ and his cross is not enough. And so he's going to go into this. And so he says, um, I'm going to show you some of my own things. And so in our time, we have to think through, how does this warning and reminder apply at a time when most people would not connect circumcision to salvation, would we? Like we don't have Americans going like, well, as long as I'm circumcised, I'm going to heaven. Like you don't hear that, right? Um, also, nor would people connect Moses' law to salvation, right? Um, that we don't have, we don't struggle with a whole bunch of the church going like, if we just stick with Moses' law and make these sacrifices and do these things and go to these meals and do all this dietary plan and all this um, religious acts, if we do all those things, we're really, really spiritual. Like that's not a big problem in the church. But what are the other things? Remember what I talked about? Our little fences, our little subculture of church conformity. If they're really spiritual, their family, surely they do this, and they do this, and they do this. And again, when I'm talking about those things, I always get bashed because it, it, like, like I'm telling people, oh, no, 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 just let your family go off and do whatever. Let your family go do whatever. Go do, you know, you, you, you don't have any rule. Oh, man, just spend five minutes with our boys and ask about how much we talk about those things. Um, it, and, and all those different things. No, that's not a... a um, conforming to the ways of the world it's in the middle of a broken culture when 10 people around you like i've said one out of 10 people are saved nine people around you are confused in our area about being christian and they're not and they do they go off the cliff and they go off the cliff and they go off the cliff and you're trying to teach people no this is a straight and narrow i know that that looks okay and how do you how do you do that without going hey hate your friends that girl, she is horrible. Stay away from her. That boy, it's horrible. Stay away from them. I don't want you ever being around them. Maybe your, your child is the only life they have. Now, again, wisdom in setting those parameters. Oh, hey, you got this crazy kid who's done all this stuff? Hey, just let your kid go for six days with them, uh, seven days in a row. They, they just spend all their time. No, that's not wise, is it? But to say, you know, like, I, I don't even care about them, that's a whole different thing. And that's a, that's a murky, murky difficult, no easy plan. We've had our boys, um, not only our boys own mistakes and their things, but, but, but friends of theirs that do things that like, you know, they're kind of doing, and you're like, oh, you're kind of wobbly. You're kind of wobbly. Oh, went off the cliff. You know, like, what do you do then? You get to talk to your, your people. You're constantly having conversations. Um, Paul contrasts their works righteousness against true saving faith. Paul's own list of superiority is what he goes into. 
Um, Paul's kind of like Taylor Swift. He's just got it all. If we want to play the comparison game, Paul's saying, uh, the boasting in our flesh game, I've got superior traits over all of you. And so Paul is doing this. Now, now don't get confused. Paul is doing this as a mockery. He's not actually pridefully going, I am this much greater than you. He's going, let me puff myself up, and then I'm going to stand up here and go, is that not ridiculous that I would think that way? Is that not ridiculous? Do you see by me using myself as the example? If I could be so proud and puffed up and so much greater than everyone and builds it up really, and then he goes, I'm doing that to show you that even that is nothing compared to Christ. So he says, though I may self, in verse four, though I may self have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Man, good Christian Paul seems really prideful. Well, he's being facetious in this and he's, he's, he's misleading them. Um, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So he goes into this whole list of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, so the eighth day of circ- circumcision, this is a proud one for Jewish families. So for Jews and Hebrews, God had commanded families to circumcise, circumcise baby boys on the eighth day. He met that requirement. Um, the uh, people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, what he's saying there is, I have a pure bloodline, uh, a pure Jewish pedigree, um, my genealogical purity. He was 100% from the tribe of Benjamin. He was untainted by any Gentile blood. Um, he was also untainted by any Hellenistic um, uh, Hebrews and Hellenistic Jews. So um, Hellenism was the, the Roman culture that was influential in their philosophy, their education, their entertainment, their music. And so it's kind of that, that was the secular way. If you were a Hellenized Jew, you had compromised um, your holiness and being pure, and you kind of got into culture too much. It's like, like you, know, you went from a Baptist uh, church growing up, and you moved to L.A. to you know, Hollywood and started living on the streets there. Like, you know, like oh, man, you, you really kind of just went all the way into mainstream culture. That was what he meant when he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I abstained from that. And not only that, I was proud that I abstained from that. Um, all of those things. Paul was privileged at birth. And then he goes into the list of things that he earned. He says, as to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, I was a Pharisee. We just talked about this. What are the Pharisees? He, he was an elitist. God's law and God's scriptures were not enough. So the Pharisees had uh, 600 different laws that they added on to scripture. External things, little things that you had to do that were not biblical. Now, they, they, they may tie over to a scripture, but they made that equal with scripture. And he's like, I was a Pharisee. Like, uh, that's how um, um, centered on the Mosaic law. Um, a zeal f- for monotheism, monotheism. I was a persecutor of the way. I was so concerned about Yahweh and our Old Testament God and our people of Israel and, and this that I started killing people when this thing called the way, remember that was the early name for Christianity, um, when the way started popping up in these areas, I took soldiers in, we imprisoned and killed people. So remember Stephen in the book of Acts. Um, all that was happening. Paul was one of the leaders of that. I was a persecutor of the church. My, my, my zeal was so strong. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And he doesn't mean perfect, but he means striving for holiness. Paul had formerly been just like these dogs who was basing his standing before God on those qualities he just listed out. But now the great reversal is where I say Christ changes everything. Is He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The reality is all that we are, all that we attain amounts to zero, nothing compared to the worth of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to be, uh, to, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So the first thing we see that Paul, this was his new life, his new identity. One captivating sinner, and it's, it's in those words, for his sake. He was sitting in a Roman imprisonment. There's no freedoms of travel, no freedoms of worship, no rights to work or succeed, no rights of enjoyment or retirement. He had truly suffered the loss of all things. But he says, I counted everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Paul's privileged Jewish heritage, the hard work, his success, his elite status, and he now knew was all worthless. And so he's saying all of those things, I could boast in those things, 
Let's be honest, they're nothing. Ten seconds into eternity, what are you going to point God to to show him how good you were? Well, can I get into heaven based off of my mom and dad took me to church? Hey, my, my, my dad was like this. My mom was like this. My grandparents. Hey, I, I didn't cuss as much. I, I, I didn't ever steal from my workplace. Did you see how successful I was? Did you see the vehicles we had? Did you see where we lived? Did you see how much money I made? How, how much is that going to help you 10 seconds into eternity? It, it's going to be overwhelming to be in his presence 10 seconds into eternity to realize this is what I could have been living for. So let's go back to the question. Is that, 10 seconds into eternity, is that satisfying? Are you learning to make that satisfying? That one captivating center. Is that captivating enough? Because we're surrounded by people who, oh gosh, how long is this sermon going? Oh my gosh, oh man. Hey, bow your heads, close your eyes. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Who did this? Raise your hand. That's pretty easy. Seems like zero commitment. Like, sure. Yeah, I'm sure I've done some wrong things. I I know God exists. Fine, if the Jesus guy died on the cross. Yeah, I'm in. Cool. All right. Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, same patterns, same thinking. Nothing ever changed. They didn't make it about the glory of Christ, about what Christ really did. For, they just made it this, this little um, uh, ticket that you get in to, to, you, to pull out when you face God. He says it's the value and worth of Christ. So what is it that satisfies you? Are the things that we pursue, things that we're truly looking for satisfaction in that distract us from what Paul is saying, this one captivating sinner? Think through the gains, the things that you're desiring and pursuing in life. What does Jesus compare to with them? Is, is there any time that maybe you do get alone just in, in solitude and silence and go, man, a couple songs, all the distraction. Maybe it takes a song for you to stop worrying about bills or what your to-do list and, and the things you've got to get done and the kids and um, work and, and family situation. It takes a whole song just to, to where you're truly now, here's the one captivating sinner. Man, you are satisfying. If we go weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months without ever doing that, I would just question how deep is our love for Christ? Truly spending time this week assessing your heart and devotion to Christ compared to these gains that you're pursuing, whatever it is that you're pursuing. So Paul says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. So that was Paul's new life in Christ, his new identity. Um, And then um, in his new identity, he finds his new righteousness, his true righteousness. And he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So it's not the righteousness of my own. What is, what, this is what Paul's entire argument has been building against his opponents and his, he's warning the Philippians against. It's a righteousness from God through faith. So we have this amazing statement that Paul says here that very few of us catch on to. Um, that very few of us think through. Paul not only repents of his sins, but Paul realizes that due to Christ, he also must repent of his attempts at his own righteousness. And then sometimes in the church, we're so proud of how we don't do those sins, but we never get the hint that we're supposed to repent of how self-righteous we are. And Paul's saying, my own self-righteousness. Uh, the way our church is. I remember when our church in Tahlequah went through a really rough time and the pastor stepped down and went through horrible, some horrible situations. And we had probably four to five young married couples. They didn't have kids yet. They come to our house and we thought, oh, they're probably going to be leaving the church because there's this, you know, we were worried about this, you know, is the church going to split and all this stuff? And they're, they're in, in tears and they just said, man, it scares us because this church, we had a right, solid theology. We weren't into the, all the, the, the hype and all the other stuff and trendy stuff. Like we were solid on the word. We had we were biblically led by elders. We did true discipleship, like life on life stuff. And we were reformed in our doctrine. We had all these things. This is the perfect church. I mean, there's just no perfect church. And they, they were they were scared. Like, man, if this can happen in this solid of a church, and, and the reality was like, it's just mankind. It's just man. Yeah, you know, it's just man and women. And so um, we, we can look at that, and we, we need to repent of our self-righteousness sometimes if our churches get to those points. Um, 
I'll, I'll hit on this next week, but I want you to see this this week. The um, so um, this is the reason I split this part of it. it, it there's a lot here that Paul's bringing out, but on the lower part below the line, so you see the blue flames of hell. Hell flames will actually be blue; they won't be red, as you're thinking. Man's state of sinful depravity is eternal wrath. To get us to just just a flat line, you, you owed you owed ten billion, right? Ten billion in your sins. You just need a zero balance. No, you don't just need a zero balance. You also need one hundred billion in righteousness. So it's not just the forgiveness of sins, but but who brought our forgiveness of sins? It was the death of Christ. He accomplished this. That's called justification that we talked about. That got us to the flat line, but. That happened through the cross. It was atonement of Christ, forgiveness of sins. Your debt was paid for sin, propitiation for sin, God's holy justice, holy wrath against sin. That's good, but that's still not God's holy righteousness. Always doing the right thing, always living perfectly. We needed a righteousness that we didn't have on our own. So the life Jesus lived, that's why we say it's not just, just the cross. I mean, you don't want to ever diminish the cross, or, but you, you need the perfection. So here, here's a question we often ask. How do you get to heaven? What gets you to heaven? You also need to think through, how am I going to stay in heaven? How am I not going to be the one who is the Adam and Eve of heaven who blow it for everyone by sinning or something? There's a righteousness from someone else's account that's provided. And Paul is saying his righteousness. That's what Paul's saying in this section, um, that we need a righteousness from him. So we need both the forgiveness of sins required to please God's wrath gets us there, but also to live. You know what we're going to be living in? And the reason we won't sin in heaven for all eternity is because of the perfect, holy, righteous life where Jesus lived out on earth and completely lived in a sinful, tainted, fallen world. He is our new Adam, living out the righteousness of heaven, the righteousness of God, and he gives that to us. He puts that clothes on us. That's why we won't sin in heaven. That's why all eternity will be so much greater. And so, man, we should worship him for his life also. Living eternally on someone else's account, a righteousness that is infinite. Just think through the beauty of that. And so um, what a beautiful picture that, that Christ is all. And that Paul says, your own righteousness, whatever you bring to the table, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to this righteousness. I don't have a righteousness from the law. I have a righteousness that is in God from Christ. And so that's the beauty of that. So in our walkaways clothing, uh, closing, what is satisfying to your soul? What's the center for you? What has truly captivated your heart? And are you resting in your own efforts or your own morals or completely in the work of Christ? Think through those things. As Brad comes up and we sing our response song, think through, what is it that's captivated you? What's the center for you? Is it career, work, is it relationship or a relationship or relationships around your life? Is, is it your, your retirement goals? Um, I, I, everything, everything I'm on now, phone or computer, little things about, is a million dollars enough to retire on? And I'm like, man, I, I sure hope it is because uh, I want to be close to that. But like, I, I would hope that that would be uh, enough. You know, and I, I won't be, I don't know if there'll be a hundred thousand there. So like, I hope a million is good. What is it that you're living for? What is it that you're pursuing? What's satisfying to your soul? Is Christ the center? Um, even if you're saved, and then for those who are not truly believers, to consider, um, is Christ truly my saving center? Is, is that what I'm resting in? Not my own righteousness. Not my own good attempts. So let me pray. 